0: But what I'd like to see Portland become is not the Amsterdam of America. I'd like them to become Amsterdam. No longer comparing us as the best in the United States. I want us to be the best in the world. I want us to take bike infrastructure seriously instead of we can squeeze it in over here and we can put some paint on the lanes over here. From the studios of Kink Radio, it's the Portland 50, a podcast series about the people who dreamt, built, and championed the innovation, growth, and uniqueness of Portland.
1: The Portland 50 series is brought to you by Jaguar Land Rover Portland. One company, two iconic brands. Jaguar Land Rover Portland is a Don Rasmussen company, the legendary Portland institution serving our community since 1950. I'm your host, Peggy LaPointe. Today, I talk with Jay Graves, former owner of the Bike Gallery, founding board member of Cycle Oregon, and biking advocate.
0: The story is he wanted to open up a bike shop in uh, 72 during the bike boom. And if you remember the 10-speed craze and the gas crisis of the early 70s, nobody would sell him bikes. And so finally in 74, just as the bike industry was taking a 40% drop. We had no idea, of course, but we opened in April of 74 and dad kept his day job. And the kids, my older sister, Paula, uh, myself and my younger sister, Tori at the time, but she goes by Victoria now. So yeah. please-
1: Don't make that mistake. <laughs> Don't make
0: that mistake. Uh, we ran it during the day. Our I don't want to say claim to fame, but I think what got us our foot in the door was being open till nine o'clock at night and Sundays. Mm -hmm. So we were the first and only bike shop for many years that was open evenings and weekends. My dad's philosophy was you got to be there when the customers want to come visit you. And that, uh, I think, was, I think, very smart of him to think about customer service back in the early 70s in that way.
1: So, as an insurance salesman, which mm-hmm. is what he yeah. was, was it just the you know, the oil crisis and the bike boom? He must have had a passion for bikes. Oh, totally. I he mean.
0: loved bikes, and uh, the kids, uh, we all, the TV room was on the opposite side of the wall from his workshop, and mm-hmm. so for many years, he was in his workshop drilling and buffing and taking uh, European campy-equipped bikes and and polishing and drilling and making works of art, literally works of art. And then he would sell them and then buy another one and it would be his new project. But uh, the funny thing about Dad was he rarely rode a bike. And uh, people are kind of shocked to hear that, but he totally saw bikes not only as a practical piece of transportation and a future in that but also as art. I still have his bike and my older sister's bike that were custom made by local frame builders back in the 70s and they are they are works of art and I'll hang on to them for
1: absolutely forever. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So he just liked tinkering with them and he liked Yes. He was fascinated by bikes not so much for riding but just as like you said works of art and these Mechanical things exactly, yeah. yeah. But then your passion for bikes, yeah, obviously started in the store and your siblings as well. Were they there to help out dad, or did they become as impassioned with bikes as you did?
0: N- no, they they uh they rode bikes yeah. and um, but they didn't get the bug like I did. Mm-hmm. And uh, in those early years, BMX bikes was a big part of our business, it actually grew to uh, about half of our business uh, in the early 80s. I was fortunate enough. Dad kind of gave me that side of the business. And then my sisters were helping him, uh, you know, on the other side of the business and in the office. It was crazy back then because none of us had a business degree. Right. And I think about some of the mistakes that we made in in uh, opening a business. And you can't do that nowadays. You know, everybody's got a college degree and, there's all this marketing and market research and buying practices and cash flow and all of that that you just, you have to know now. So it's, it's a different beast.
1: It is a different beast. So in 74, as gas prices are going back down and right. bikes aren't being ridden, at what point did Bike Gallery start making money and all of a sudden it's this, oh, We could make a go of it.
0: I think it was the third year uh, because that's, uh, dad kept his day job for the first three years. Mm -hmm. So he worked seven days a week, probably 12 hours a day. (laughs) It's kind of amazing uh, that he was able to keep that schedule for three years. But, you know, we, uh, the first two winters, which is obviously a very slow time in the bike (laughs) industry, we said, should we just close down? because we weren't making money and dad at one point uh, took out a second mortgage on the house to keep the business going and there was another uh, building that the family owned that they ended up selling and putting that money into the business the whole bike gallery story got started because my grandfather loaned dad ten thousand dollars that's how we got started and Dad didn't take any wages out for the first few years, and so we were able to, uh, what is it, bootstrap it. Right. And uh, we, the kids, didn't get paid. I should also (laughs) point out, (laughs) none of us got paid. We're living at home. We're getting, you know,
1: a a a roof over our head.
0: (laughs) (laughs) And uh, mom would bring up uh, baskets of food for dinner because we were there till nine o'clock at night, and we couldn't leave, and we really didn't have the money to go uh, to a restaurant.
1: And you live nearby.
0: Uh, we were a couple miles, yeah, a mile exactly. and a half. Yeah. So she would, you know, make dinner for the rest of the family and then uh, bring this wicker basket with plates and bowls. And uh, it, it's such a special memory.
1: I would imagine. <laughs> I would imagine that would be awesome. <laughs> well, you know, looking back, it's awesome. Yeah. At the time, it's, it's tiring. Right. So late 70s, things start to pick up.
0: Late 70s, things start to pick up. We've now expanded. We bought uh, the Cyclecraft and I can't remember if it was 78 or 80. Excuse my recollection here. Uh, But the premier bike shop during the late 60s and through the 70s became available and it was dad's dream store. He loved going in there and drooling over all the cool <laughs> racing bikes and bike parts and talking to the mechanics and he jumped at the chance cuz by that time he was full-time into the business. The business was growing and And uh,
1: where was this other bike shop?
0: Downtown. Okay. Yeah, it's it's now, you know, it's moved three or four times since we purchased Cyclecraft. It was initially on 12th and Morrison. Now we're on Tenth and Salmon, right. so just a couple blocks away. The downtown market has always been a wonderful commuting market. It's got a wide range of customers that come in,
1: <laughs> as imagine. you can imagine. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> so you now at so the first we should I don't think we mentioned the first store was on Sandy
0: Sandy Boulevard, not Works. exactly
1: where it is right now, but close. Yeah, same block. Same block.
0: And and our whole market analysis for where to put our first bike shop was what's close enough to the house that the kids can ride their bikes there (laughs) after school. (laughs) So Paula went to Portland State in the morning, uh, opened at noon. This is, you know, during the school year and during the work week. And then uh, Victoria and I came up at three o'clock after high school and... uh, so Victoria was fourteen, I was fifteen, Paula was eighteen. I was gonna say one. you
1: were fifteen the same age yeah. as my older one. So yeah. I kind of put myself in <laughs> or put him in your shoes at the time, which probably love it and begrudge it at the same time. Which well, you might have done.
0: Yeah, no, no? I uh, I loved working on bikes. We our one paid employee, his name was Tom, he was helping me to learn to be a bike mechanic and I love working on bikes and still do to this day, but don't have me go uh, help customers <laughs> in, in those early <laughs> right. first few years. Oh right! And answering the telephone scared me to death. So extremely shy, and I could be, hide behind the wall and be a mechanic just fine. That's
1: good. That suited <laughs> you. Eventually, Bike Gallery grew to six,
0: six locations. Six
1: locations. Right. But let's see, we're probably in the early 80s. You took over bike gallery, ownership. Uh, how did that process happen with you and your family? Yeah. Your so, dad mostly, probably.
0: Uh, when the business was set up, each of the kids was promised 10% of the business. So mom and dad then split the, the remainder, 35% each. And my sister uh, still teases me to this day. When she left the business we actually had a negative equity. It was during the recession of the mid-'80s, right. and she kind of left the business and didn't work there any longer. So she keeps telling me, you know, where's my 10%, Jay? Where's my <laughs> 10%? And I said, well, technically you owe me money because you right. left when <laughs> there was nothing there, and we were in debt. But she didn't want any part of my business. My older sister had left the business at that point, and so it was the mid 90s when dad turned 65, and he promised me from day one that he was gonna retire when he got to 65. Mm-hmm. And I so admire his ability. After twenty-three years in business, he said, I'm turning sixty-five, and we'll get the business uh evaluated. Mm-hmm. Uh so we got a, an appraisal done. And that neither one of us, you know, fought over it because right. it was a, a mutually uh, beneficial purchase. And he uh, retired and he didn't come in and tell me what to do. He came in once in a while and just said hi to folks. But he was not one of those hanger honors and, you know, there until his 80s kind of a thing.
1: Do you think it was still hard for him, though, to leave?
0: I do. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah.
1: Because he put his heart and soul in that.
0: Yeah. Yeah.
1: You talked about the recession in the eighties, yeah, uh, hitting a lot of businesses hard. You know, you started off with BMX. Take me through the evolution. Well, I want to make this a two-parter. Take me through the evolution <laughs> of how bikes changed in in your business, in Bike Gallery in particular. Okay,
0: so ten speeds, right? Back in the seventies, five gears and back two up front. Ten speeds in the eighties, fifteen speeds. A third sprocket up front became really popular for the tourists. Mm-hmm. Uh that business continued to grow slowly, but BMX took off in the late seventies and was strong till
1: Quite well, a while.
0: Yeah. It's it's still around obviously a but
1: decades strong probably. Right.
0: And uh it was a big part of our business for a long time. Mountain bikes first started coming out mid eighties. And we were fortunate enough to be uh, specialized dealers at the time, and they were the first company to come out with a production-made kit bike, if you will, Uh, because we were taking old BMX bikes and putting gears on them. We were doing some crazy things to old cruisers, (laughs) old Schwinn cruisers. Uh, So that was a big deal, mountain biking. I think is what saved us quite honestly because 10 speeds it's not that they weren't still selling but we with the recession needed a little bump a little something extra so that's what helped uh, us kind of dig out of a hole that we had so uh, I mentioned the recession and having a net equity in the business so during that recession our sales flattened, but our expenses continued to grow. And Mm -hmm. it's just kind of a typical, you're growing your business, you're funding all of your growth through any profits that you get. And then when those two lines cross and head in different directions, uh, that's when dad had to take out the second mortgage on the house. It was very challenging. Uh, We opened our third business out in Beaverton It was formerly uh, Tailwind Outfitters, and Mm -hmm. they were kind of a mini REI at the time, and uh, they weren't able to make it for various reasons. So we bought uh, Tailwind Outfitters in 89, and that's when we realized, oh my gosh, going from one to two business locations wasn't a big deal. Going to three was, uh, we had to have a whole lot of systems and a whole lot of procedures uh, written down and then training. Oh, and that's when we got a computer system. <laughs> 1989, we, we computerized. And oh my goodness, that was huge learning curve for all of us. Uh, and then we got our fourth and fifth locations very uh, close to one another. The just two great opportunities came up. And all of our expansion came from the other retailers in town coming to us and saying, would you buy my business? I'm tired of, you know, draining my retirement account or I'm tired of working seven days a week and not getting to ride my bike, which Mm -hmm. is why I got in the bike business. Right. So um, I'm very proud of the fact that we ran a quality, ethical, good business that the other retailers felt like They came to us first.
1: Yeah, I was going to say, that's got to be a huge compliment. Yeah. Yeah.
0: And then it was, I think, eight years, eight or nine years before we opened the sixth location. And we've had opportunities over the years to open other locations outside of the metro area. But for me, uh, it was very important as a family-owned, locally-owned business to not get so spread out that I couldn't make it to, you know, all the stores in one day if I had to for whatever reasons. Knowing every employee's name was very important to me. So keeping it relatively small at six locations and at our peak, I think we had 125 employees was a lot. That is a lot.
1: (laughs) Yeah. And then you were, you know, going on bike rides too at (laughs) 12.40 in the morning. I remember when you mentioned the mountain bikes, I remember buying mine in the early 90s. And you know it makes sense. You know Forest Park is right there, Mount mm-hmm. Tabor, and uh, and then eventually getting into a commuter bike. When did I mean you're the expert? When did commuter bike sales pick up?
0: That was uh, late '80s, early '90s, okay. uh, when so mountain bikes came in in '85, and people bought them because they had flat handlebars. They didn't have the, you know, the skinny yes. tires and the bent bar, bent over bars. And so people were realizing, oh, my gosh, this is a way more comfortable way to ride. But these big, fat, knobby tires aren't any fun on the street or for commuting mm-hmm. uh, or for running errands. So, um, so then the hybrid came out late 80s uh, is mm-hmm. my recollection. And uh, w- we have been uh, a Trek dealer, Trek bicycle, Waterloo, Wisconsin, family-owned business, business. Uh, uh, since their second year in business. And that's, uh, we, we partnered with them early on and then got rid of all the other brands for many years and just carried Trek brands. And their whole uh, 700 series bikes were super popular during that late 80s, early 90s. Uh, they also got into carbon fiber uh, road bikes in the, I believe it was the late 80s. Mm-hmm. And that's when, uh, that's when high-end road bikes with this new material started becoming a, a really big part of our business. And that's when we started seeing a lot of growth. And that's, that's why we could justify or afford a fourth and fifth location during those, during those 90s.
1: Well, you mentioned Trek. Yeah. Hasn't Bike Gallery been one of, how do I put this? Bike Gallery has sold a lot of Treks.
0: <laughs> <laughs> yes, you could say that. We, so much so, uh-huh.
1: <laughs> they've sent you to Tour de France. All right.
0: We have been a Trek top 10 retailer since the early 80s. Yeah. Oh, and we can't forget Mount St. Helens, right? You got you to gotta mention Mount St. Helens blowing up and the oh. ash that covered the city and wh- wh- what that does to an outdoor recreation business. Yes, little hit and yeah Yeah. so that uh, there's some great stories around all of that but uh, Trek has been a wonderful partner of ours as I mentioned and they helped us through some very challenging times with the economy Mm -hmm. with mountains blowing up (laughs) and because of that partnership yes uh, after Lance won his first Tour de France in 99 I think that's right. Yeah, I'll take your word for
1: it. (laughs) It was around that time.
0: I was asked to go uh, on the first ever inaugural dealer trip uh, the following year, 2000. And then I was, the folks at Trek said that I play well with others. (laughs) And so I actually got to go on every one of the next six trips. And it was then that I started, you know, calling in from France and Les and Sheila would have me on, yep. the, on the phone at, I don't remember what time it was. I think it was like three o'clock in the afternoon there and right. seven or eight in the morning here. You and would call in
1: live for those. Yeah. They were fantastic.
0: <laughs> yeah. And, you know, you're in the country land, uh, the Alps sometimes, and trying to find a, a cell signal to make those phone calls was a little stressful. But the folks at Trek were super helpful in making sure I was able to make those calls. Yeah,
1: that was a lot of fun. <laughs> that was a lot of fun. And you've been involved, so with Bike Gallery, obviously, uh, throughout your years there. But the other part of Jay Graves has, oh. and an equally as influential and important, I'm going to guess to you, because you have been so involved, is bike advocacy. Right. So, Cycle Oregon, you're a founding board member.
0: Yes. I, How did that uh, happen? How did that happen Uh, uh, yes okay uh so the very first year of cycle oregon the ride director her name is susan bladholm she went to all the bike shops in the metro area and maybe maybe where the ride was going that first year and said can you please support this bike ride and we uh you know it's funny i i had been to the trade show the previous september And I listened to a a seminar, and the guy said, "You got to get involved with your customers. You got to get out. You got to do rides. You got to do events." And so we just said yes, you know, without really knowing (laughs) what we were getting into. (laughs) And so we we sent three people out on that first cycle Oregon, and we probably should have sent six. We were the only bike shop that was. Smart enough or dumb enough to (laughs) to say, yeah, we'll go out for eight days and uh, work on the first year, a thousand people's bikes. That's still a lot. And uh, we worked on the bikes in uh, the headlights of our cars because we didn't think about bringing lights for working at night, but there was so much work to do. Oh, my gosh. Those those early years were challenging because we were learning so much about being on the road for seven days. Yeah. And so then when the board got started two years later, because we had been a founding sponsor, we got, I got asked. And it's funny, one of our competitors was a friend of one of the board members. And so he was asked to be on the board as well. And I was scared to death because I'd never sat on a board before. I had no idea, all these big wigs uh, you know, in the room from, from my perspective. And they were because they, they were leaders of industries in, in Portland and Oregon. And I, I just said, well, I'm not going to let my competitor do this without you know me being right there. So they went out of business a few years later. So, and there was only one other bike shop that stepped up and did ride support for a few years. But then no one wanted it. And so that's when we just became a full title sponsor of Cycle Oregon.
1: Well, it makes perfect sense being ride support, especially around the area when there's so many rides. I mean, there's Sunday Parkways (laughs) all the way to Cycle Oregon. Right. And what a great opportunity. Right. And I have to imagine it's fun for the mechanics.
0: It is, and that's being my roots as a bike mechanic you are treated so well out there by the riders (laughs) because you're literally saving their vacation that they've trained all year for. And so the, the bike mechanics, you know, even though they're literally working 16 hours a day, um, many days, it's just a constant high and you fall asleep exhausted and you wake up and you get back out on the road again. And after 30 years, I have now retired from <laughs> Cycle Oregon, and this is making it even more official. Yes. But yeah. I, so,
1: so you started off with three, you know, what, 20, 30 years? How many were you sending out to be mechanics?
0: Uh, so there were, I believe, uh, the last few years, uh, we, Bike Gallery, has taken uh, 10 mechanics. And then there's 15 support staff mm-hmm. as part of that. So Bike Allery has about 23 to 25 people that they bring out to do the support. And there's no charge. Cycle Oregon doesn't pay us anything. Mm-hmm. And there's no charge for the services that we provide. And we get to sell some some stuff out on the event that helps cover some of the costs, but it's a marketing expense for us. And it's hopefully a brand building.
1: You're listening to King's Portland 50 Series. I'll continue my conversation with Jay Graves in a moment, but I wanted to thank our sponsor. The Portland 50 Series is presented by Jaguar Land Rover Portland. One company, two iconic brands. Jaguar Land Rover Portland is a Don Rasmussen company, the legendary Portland institution serving our community since 1950. Now back to my conversation with Jay Graves, biking advocate and former owner of Bike Gallery. Uh, in addition to Cycle Oregon, there's a community cycling center. <laughs> right. You had almost 15 years as a board member of BTA, which is now a uh, street trust. Right. And also vice chair of Oregon State Parks Commission. Now that makes sense because right. biking is outdoors. But I was kind of curious about that when I saw that.
0: Well, there's... Uh huge partnership between Cycle Oregon and state parks. It's maybe not obvious to people on the surface, but because we stay in a number of state parks Mm -hmm. and we use some of their rail trail facilities, what they call a linear state park, Mm -hmm. it's a very important uh, relationship to Cycle Oregon. And Oregon State Parks and Recreation is its full name, loves what Cycle Oregon represents and does, and does on a statewide basis. So there's a really good synergy there. And uh, I really appreciated the mission of Oregon State Parks, and they keep uh, one of the commissioner seats open uh, for a cycling advocate or a cycling person. Because it's important to them to know what's going on in the, in the bicycling world. So besides linear state parks, Oregon State Parks is also doing uh, mountain bike uh, mm-hmm. trails yep. and Silver Falls State Park, Stub stewart and I think a couple others are in the planning stages.
1: Nice. Okay, so I'm going to go back to your dad. He had in his mind 65. I'm going to retire. Yeah. Okay. So let's go back a few years. you retired, you announced a retirement in 2012. Correct. How many years leading up to that did you have in mind, I'm going to retire at this set date?
0: Wow! How long
1: were you thinking about this?
0: Okay, good question. I, um, from the very beginning of Bike Gallery and me having children and me having children that were working in the business, I just thought I was passing the business along to them like my dad did for me. Mm -hmm. And it became obvious that the industry was changing, that retail was changing, and I have four kids and not all of them stayed working in the business or wanted to you know stay in it for the next 30 40 years and i really felt like i don't want i don't want to be tied to this thing for the rest of my life cuz if i sell it to my kids or pass it along to my kids then i'm going to be here for my whole life and i want to do something else right i, I uh, uh i want to do something else so after 39 and a half years in the bike business, I decided I would just see what the winds blew my direction and what I got excited about and a number of things kind of aligned to get there. But to answer your question specifically, I think it was 2010 when I started thinking about, okay, if my kids aren't going to do it, then what does that mean? Is it mean my vendors are going to potentially buy it? Is it uh, or my employees? That was my first choice. Mm-hmm. Uh, Employee-owned kind y- of model. Yes, exactly. Okay. I talked to Brian Roder at uh, New Seasons who mm-hmm. had gone through an ESOP, employee stock ownership plan, and uh, did a bunch of research and talked to my management team about their interest level, and they... Uh, so long story short my general manager and his business partner are the ones that stepped up
1: well and it seemed like from the outside it went relatively seamless
0: yeah and I, I still go into all of the stores and a high high majority of people are that were working for me are still working for Kelly over five years later Nice, and that says a lot about him absolutely Because I think we've only lost one of the six store managers in that time.
1: That's not a big turnover, right?
0: (laughs) Right. No, and and
1: I go into the Sandy store; nothing's changed. I mean, I don't (laughs) see. Well, hopefully, it's gotten better. (laughs) (laughs) Well, you know what I mean. I don't see any marked difference that Jay Graves is no longer here. It's the customer service is the same. The you know everything is as inviting as it was when you were there. Good. How's that? I love hearing that. (laughs) (laughs) All right. So I read. Uh, when you were talking about this retirement, when you announced the retirement, um, there were some things that you were talking about doing because you had grown up in Portland. You had taken taken part in the business at a young age. You went to school <laughs> in Portland. Your life was very Portland-centric. So you said, I want to visit friends and family. I want to go to national parks. I want to hit uh, rails to trails. Mm-hmm. And
0: I won't say mission accomplished (laughs) but that's exactly what we've been able to do and you know I for 39 years I uh, listened to all of our customers dreams about their vacations Mm. their summer plans their bike ride across America with bike centennial or adventure cycling and I loved hearing those stories and when I got the chance We packed up and took our truck and trailer and drove literally the four corners of the United States that following year. And I visited colleagues from all over the country and uh, visited many national parks. On our trip from the West Coast to the East Coast, anybody I met in a campground, I said, what are your two favorite national parks that we just have to visit? And they said, Acadia National Park up in Maine and Big Bend down in Texas. And I said, You're kidding me, Texas. Wow. And they were absolutely right. Really? For different reasons. Yeah. Because I was going to
1: ask you which ones you like the most, because we've (laughs) done that with our bikes and the kids. Uh Uh-huh. At one point, we had a triple. Oh, right. Right. And we added the tag along. Oh, good. And we did national parks. We had a camper and we did that. And it was amazing, Mm because you see so much more. On a bike in a national park than oh, you do in a car. Oh yeah, and but we never hit those.
0: Well, Acadia, I mean, it's one of the furthest away from right. here. But the the big deal about Acadia is that it had all of these paths on it, and they're perfect for bike riding on. Oh, and if you remember what happened in October of 2013, we had reservations, I think, for October 1st of 2013, and the government shut down. Oh gosh. meant that we couldn't get into the park to camp. And thank goodness it's October and there were plenty other campgrounds and we got a really amazing site overlooking water. But the silver lining to all of that was that the 25-mile road through Acadia National Park had no cars on it, no tour buses, and it was amazing. We rode it, I think, three times during (laughs) the days we were there. (laughs) And then Big Bend, my perceptions of Texas is it's just flat sagebrush and not a lot there. And th- there is a lot of that. But down on the Rio Grande, bordering Mexico, is th- some amazing geology. And mm-hmm. there's a campground that literally sits on the river. It is gorgeous scenery, and uh, we get to ride our bikes on some of the dirt roads there. There aren't any bike paths there, but Mm -hmm. that's okay because you're there for for different reasons. And the hikes into some of these uh, canyons are just spectacular. So highly recommend Big Uh. Ben. There's a bunch of others I'd, I'd recommend. And I will mention that the one thing I think I've done, the National Park I've done more than any, it's actually the closest, is Crater Lake. But that's because they close... The Rim Drive around Crater Lake every September mm. to cars for one day, so that bicyclists can go around. It's called the Crater Lake Rim Ride, and uh, that's just going to be part of my September ritual from here on out. That's a good idea. It is such; it is one of the most gorgeous rides you can do that that I've done in the country. To do it without cars on it is pretty spectacular. It's not an easy thirty-five miles. No. But you can do an out and back on some of the more scenic places. And uh, if you haven't taken the family down there for that one.
1: We have never ridden there, but Rick's family is from Roseburg. So oh. we've been there. <laughs> right. But some of my favorites on this particular, because we did three weeks. We drove to Wisconsin, okay. where my family's from, right, and back. And we hit Craters of the Moon. Uh, oh, yeah. We hit the Tetons, which were gorgeous. Mm-hmm. You must have done
0: Yellowstone if you're at Teton. We didn't do,
1: but we're doing Yellowstone, I think, this year. Okay. We did Teddy Roosevelt. Badlands. We didn't bike the Badlands. We drove through. And Rick planned it, of course, because Rick is a huge cyclist. Yeah. And he planned all the uh, biking parts. And so we can't, if anyone's familiar with Mount Rushmore, campgrounds are not close to the monument. Right. And he said, I have this wonderful loop. That we're going to ride and again this is the triple and the tag along. tag along and my kids are this is six years ago so my kids are 11 and five wow it was uphill all the way <laughs> both directions yes <laughs> yes because it was a loop and i'm thinking okay the way back is gonna be great right because no it was <laughs> uphill the whole way <sighs> There were some some words said under my breath. I can
0: imagine. Mount Rushmore is spectacular, but it's not a great biking
1: route. It's not a big... Right. Right. No, we discovered that. (laughs) Going to a national park is gorgeous. Yeah. Taking your bike to a national park and riding around, you see so much more. I mean, we we rode by all the Buffalo when we were at Tetons, where people had to pull over. And, you know, you have the chance to look around. Mm Mm-hmm. Yes.
0: Tetons is is another one of my favorites, and we did some great mountain biking in that area. Another one, real quick, is uh, the Everglades National Park. We Uh just came back from our annual trip to Florida in December because that's where family is, and you have to visit family, right? Right. Uh, But we always spend a week or 10 days down in the Everglades, and there's this amazing bike ride that uh, is called Shark Valley. It's in the Everglades, and there are gators along the side of the trail, and there's gobs of birds uh, everywhere, lots of fish. And it's this 15-mile loop trail, no cars. And it goes out to this observation tower, and you get this bird's-eye view of the Everglades like nowhere else because it's flat. It's right. such a flat part of the country. But take your bike when you go there. They, they have rentals, but they're one speed. Right piece of junks. (laughs) They're not in great shape, believe me. I've considered offering my services to (laughs) help them tune them up a little bit.
1: Pay your rent while you're down there. So you got a chance to travel. What has Jay Graves been doing? Because I told you this before we started, you know, officially talking, There's, there's not a lot out there about you in the last five years. And I have to imagine that feels probably pretty good.
0: It feels great after being such a public person mm-hmm. for so many years to be able to just uh, escape to our tree farm. So we're we are now tree farmers, mainly timber, but we're growing it for uh, a healthy forest. So we did a thinning project last year. We've got just a half an acre of Christmas trees that we open up to friends and family oh. uh, to come out and cut a Christmas tree that keeps us very busy it's 80 acres uh, and because both uh, Allison and I are cyclists we've put over 2 miles of mountain bike trail on of the course. property and as chance would have it we our backyard is next to a state park <laughs> that has mountain bike trails in it <laughs> so we just feel like we're in heaven when we're out there but the other big thing that we do which is about a week every month we go out to Eastern Oregon, Mm -hmm. where uh, the new family business is and my son, Simon, is running the Dayville Mercantile. And for those of you that know Dayville...
1: And I have to read this because you (laughs) gave me the the business card and this is perfect. Dayville Mercantile, stocking all essentials, bacon, beans, whiskey, and dry goods.
0: And that's exactly... That's fantastic. (laughs) Exactly what we sell. Uh, We do sell a lot of potato chips and candy bars as well. well because that's road snacks, but it's literally a town of 150 people. Uh, it's 30 miles from John Day. It's two and a half hours from Bend. That uh, little store is such a great place to experience rural America. Mm-hmm. And
1: and it's a beautiful area.
0: Uh, and it's a beautiful area. You're really you're nine miles from the John Day right, Paleontology is, Center and the Painted Hills are not far away.
1: And we did biking out there too. Oh yeah. It's right. Gorgeous. And it's
0: on the old West Scenic Bikeway. Yep. And Simon is an amazing bike mechanic. So he's got a little bike shop in the back. Oh good. Mostly repairs, but right. he does some rental bikes for That's people awesome. that come to the area. But the Old West Scenic Bikeway is getting more and more popular. Oh, and that's the other connection with Oregon State Parks is there are now, I believe, 15 scenic bikeways. You've seen the scenic byways where you drive on these beautiful roads throughout the state. Well, I don't know, 10 years ago, they started scenic bikeways in uh, collaboration with Cycle Oregon. And it is now... A growing—I forget the the millions of dollars that are produced uh, through tourism dollars and jobs and all of that because of this program. Another thing that State Parks is working on, real quick, and Cycle Oregon is helping with, is uh, the Salmonberry Trail, Mm -hmm. which goes from Banks to Tillamook. It's an old rail line that, ten years ago, was destroyed by rains. There's a lot of momentum to get that opened up so that there is an off-road trail from basically suburban Portland all the way to the coast. And uh, both Allison and I are helping the Salmonberry Trail Coalition in different ways.
1: Well, that kind of leads me to my final question. (laughs) Okay, go. You're still a young man, Jay. (laughs) And I know that Bike Advocacy will be with you forever. (laughs) What would you like to see whether it be in Portland or in the state as far as biking and bike advocacy.
0: So when I, uh, so when one of the other volunteer things I did was with the National Bicycle Dealers Association. And I had the opportunity as a retailer to go around the country and talk about bike advocacy and talk to large groups of bike retailers all over the country. And my, my opening joke was, I want Portland to be the Amsterdam of America. And you know, back then, I would say, and I'm talking bikes, not all the other stuff (laughs) Amsterdam is famous for. Well, now we've got some of the other things that Amsterdam is famous for. But what I'd like to see Portland become is not the Amsterdam of America. I'd like them to become Amsterdam. No longer comparing us as the best in the United States. I want us to be the best in the world. I want us to take bike infrastructure seriously instead of, oh, we can squeeze it in over here and we can put some paint on the lanes over here. The amount of people moving into this city and the growth that's expected and the congestion that we all experience is only gonna get worse. And there are people all over the world who use their bikes for transportation For everything. And Mm -hmm. I'd love for it to be safer for everybody. And, you know, I've got four grandkids now. And so I think about things in terms of, oh, is it grandchild friendly? And uh, so I'd like to see that. The other thing that we've seen uh, a little success on is the national parks getting more bike friendly Mm -hmm. and having Crater Lake closed down for two days, actually. It's two Saturdays in uh, September. The last few years has been amazing, but I'd love to see that in more places. They've experimented with no cars and only buses.
1: Right, which I think is a nice step.
0: Yeah, it's a great step. And again, for one day a year, can we make some of these beautiful, gorgeous places in our country more accessible to people for active recreation? So those are those are the two things I'd like to see happening, and I want to I, I want to ride my bike on the Salmonberry Trail before <laughs> I'm too old, from Banks out to Tillamook, and I won't do it in one day because I think it's 86 miles. I'd love to camp somewhere in the middle in the Salmonberry Canyon. That would be pretty amazing.
1: That would be amazing. <laughs> Thank you so much for coming in today.
0: My pleasure, Peggy. It's been a treat.
1: Thanks. It's good. Good to see you. Thank you for joining me for my conversation with Jay Graves. If you've missed any of the previous podcasts, you can find them at our website, kink.fm. The Portland 50 is a podcast series celebrating Kink's 50th anniversary, and it's about the people who dreamt, built, and championed the innovation, growth, and uniqueness of Portland. The series is presented by Jaguar Land Rover Portland, one company, two iconic brands, Jaguar at Land Rover Portland is a Don Rasmussen company, the legendary Portland institution serving our community since 1950.